Chapter Twenty of the Spanish Brothers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Adele de Pinuroles. The Spanish Brothers by Deborah Alcock. Chapter Twenty, the first drop of a thunder shower. Close doorways that are folded and prayed against in vain. E. B. Browning. Meanwhile the happy weeks glided on noiselessly and rapidly. They brought full occupation for head and heart, as well as varied and intense enjoyment. Don Juan's constant intercourse with Doña Beatrice was not the less delightful because already he sought to imbue her mind with the truths which he himself was learning every day to love better. He thought her an apt and hopeful pupil, but, under the circumstances, he was scarcely the best possible judge. Carlos was not so well satisfied with her attainments. He advised reserve and caution in imparting their secrets to her, lest through inadvertence she might betray them to her aunt and cousins. Juan considered this a mark of his constitutional timidity, yet he so far attended to his warnings that Doña Beatriz was strongly impressed with the necessity of keeping their religious conversations a profound secret, whilst her sensibilities were not shocked by any mention of words so odious as heresy or lutheranism but there could be no doubt as to juan's own progress under the instructions of his brother and of losada and fray cassiodora he began ere long to accompany carlos to the meetings of the protestants who welcomed the new acquisition to their ranks with affectionate enthusiasm all were attracted by don juan's warmth and candor of disposition and by his free joyous hopeful temperament though he was not beloved by any as intensely as Carlos was by the few who really knew him, such as Losada, Don Juan Ponce de Leon, and the young monk, Fray Fernando. Partly through the influence of his religious friends, and partly through the brilliant reputation he had brought from Alcala, Carlos now obtained a lectureship at the College of Doctrine, of which the provost, Fernando de San Juan, was a decided and zealous Lutheran. This appointment was an honorable one, considered in no way derogatory to his social position, and useful as tending to convince his uncle that he was doing something, not idly dreaming his time away. Occupations of another kind opened out before him also. Amongst the many sincere and anxious inquirers, who were troubled with perplexities concerning the relations of the old faith and the new, were some who turned to him with an instinctive feeling that he could help them, this was just the work that best suited his abilities and his temperament. To sympathize, to counsel, to aid in conflict, as only that man can do who has known conflict himself, was God's special gift to him. And he who goes through the world speaking, whenever he can, a word in season to the weary, will seldom be without some weary one ready to listen to him. Upon one subject, and one only, the brothers still differed. Juan saw the future robed in the glowing hues borrowed from his own ardent, hopeful spirit. In his eyes the Spains were already won for truth and freedom, as he loved to say. He anticipated nothing less than a glorious regeneration of Christendom, in which his beloved country would lead the van. And there were many among Losada's congregation who shared these bright and beautiful, if delusive, dreams, and the enthusiasm which had given them birth, and in its turn was nourished by them. 
Again, there were others who rejoiced with much trembling over the good tidings that often reached them of the spread of the faith in distant parts of the country, and who welcomed each neophyte to their ranks as if they were adorning a victim for the sacrifice. They could not forget that name of terror, the Holy Inquisition, and from certain ominous indications they thought the sleeping monster was beginning to stir in his den. Else why had new and severe decrees against heresy been recently obtained from Rome? And above all, why had the Bishop of Tarragona, Gonzales de Munabraga, already known as a relentless persecutor of Jews and Moors, been appointed vice-inquisitor-general at Seville? Still, on the whole, hope and confidence predominated and strange, nay, incredible, as it may appear to us, beneath the very shadow of the Triana the Lutherans continued to hold their meetings, almost with open doors. One evening Don Juan escorted Doña Beatrice to some festivity from which he could not very well excuse himself, whilst Carlos attended a reunion for prayer and mutual edification at the usual place, the house of Doña Isabella de Bena. Don Juan returned at a late hour, but in high spirits. Going at once to the room where his brother sat awaiting him, he threw off his cloak and stood before him, a gay, handsome figure, in his doublet of crimson satin, his gold chain, and well-used sword, now worn for ornament, with its embossed scabbard and embroidered belt. "'I never saw Doña Beatriz look so charming,' he began eagerly. "'Don Miguel de Santa Cruz was there.' but he could not get as much as a single dance with her, and looked ready to die for envy. But save me from the impertinence of Louis Rotello. I shall have to cane him one of these days, if no milder measures will teach him his place and station. He, the son of a simple hidalgo, to dare to lift his eyes to Doña Beatrice de la Vela, the caitiff's presumption. But thou art not listening, brother. What is wrong with thee? No wonder he asked. The face of Carlos was pale and the deep mournful eyes looked as if his tears had been lately there. "'A great sorrow, brother mine,' he answered, in a low voice. "'My sorrow, then, too. Tell me, what is it?' asked one, his tone and manner changed in a moment. "'Juliano is taken.' "'Juliano? The muleteer who brought the books and gave you that testament?' "'The man who put into my hands this precious book,' "'to which I owe my joy now and my hope for eternity,' said Carlos, his lip trembling. "'Ay de me, but perhaps it is not true.' "'Too true. A smith, to whom he showed a copy of the book, betrayed him. "'God forgive him, if there be forgiveness for such. "'It may have been a month ago, but we only heard it now, and he lies there. "'There!' "'Who told you?' "'All were talking of it at the meeting when I entered.' It is the sorrow of all, but I doubt if any have such cause to sorrow as I, for he is my father in the faith, Juan. And now, he added, after a long, sad pause, I shall never tell him what he has done for me, at least on this side of the grave. There is no hope for him, said Juan mournfully, as one that mused. Hope, only in the great mercy of God. Even those dreadful dungeon walls cannot shut him out. No, thank God. But the prolonged, the bitter, the horrible suffering. I have been trying to contemplate, to picture it. But I cannot. I dare not. And what I dare not think of he must endure. He is a peasant. You are a noble. That makes some difference, said Don Juan, 
with whom the tie of brotherhood in Christ had not yet effaced all earthly distinctions. But Carlos, he questioned suddenly, and with a look of alarm, does not he know everything? Everything, Carlos answered quietly. One word from his lips, and the pile is kindled for us all. But that word will never be spoken. Tonight not one heart amongst us trembled for ourselves. We only wept for him. You trust him, then, so completely? It is much to say. They in whose hands he is are as cruel as fiends. No doubt they will— Hush! interrupted Carlos, with a look of such exceeding pain that Juan was effectually silenced. There are things we cannot speak of, save to God in prayer. Oh, my brother, pray for him, that he for whom he has risked so much may sustain him, and, if it may be, shorten his agony. Surely more than two or three will join in that prayer. But, my brother, he added after a pause, be not so downcast. Do you not know that every great cause must have its martyr? When was a victory won, and no brave man left on the field dead, a city stormed, and none fallen in the breach? Perhaps to that poor peasant may be given the glory, the great glory, of being honored throughout all times as the sainted martyr whose death has consecrated our holy cause to victory. A grand lot, truly, worth suffering for. And Juan's dark eye kindled, and his cheek glowed with enthusiasm. Carlos was silent. Dost thou not think so, my brother? I think that Christ is worth suffering for, said Carlos at last, and that nothing short of his personal presence, realized by faith, can avail to bring any man victorious through such fearful for trials. May that, may he be with his faithful servant now, when all human help and comfort are far away. End of chapter 20 Recording by Adelde Pinoroles